painting is just such an amazing form that it allows for that fear to happen on a constant basis. There is no, uh, at least in the way I work, there's really no way of preconceiving the moment and the material and the everything around, you know, the temperature and, and the energy comes together or it doesn't. And uh, ultimately, that is the most satisfying endeavor when it works and the most crushing when it doesn't work. And that's why, for me, painting is, I mean, it's deep sea fishing. It's the real thing. I was able to, for a long time, uh, flirt with painting through my sculptural works. I have always had a dialogue with painting. I think I moved away from it uh, for one reason, because I did not satisfy my own urgency to make my own mark. I really felt that my language, the voice that I had on canvas was uh, too derivative of other voices and that pushed me away for a while. And so that makes this challenge even more terrifying. Welcome to the Studio Break Podcast. I'm your host, David Linaway. For today's 300th episode, Bill Conger, a great artist and great friend, joins me once again to talk about what's going on in the studio. We featured him a number of times, and if you're familiar, he has explored a ton of different ways of working with different materials, lots of sculptural materials, as well as conceptual approaches, found objects, collage, and what's fascinating is his return to painting after 15 years. So super excited to share this uh, studio discussion that we had in Peoria in his studio with all these works on the wall. So very excited to have him featured. Once again, if you go to studiobreak.com and look at our archive, you'll see there's a number of episodes that Bill's been on. We'll have that all linked up there if you want to go back and hear some of those early experiences and episodes. So please check that out. And I would note, since it's episode 300, it's been a pleasure to have this big archive of artists like Bill on Studio Break and available for the studio for great listening and you know, thought-provoking while you're working away in the studio. So please check out our archive. There's a ton of episodes there. Each of those posts have images of the artist's work, links to their websites, and you can listen right there on Studio Break. But I would recommend that you go and subscribe on Spotify, Apple, wherever you get your podcasts, and that way you've always got something to listen to in the studio. Before I forget, we do have a exhibition coming up in March. Super excited to have this two-person exhibition with Bill Conger returning to Studio Break Gallery in West Chicago, along with Emeritus Illinois State University professor, artist, and really mentor of many artists, Ron Jackson. That exhibition is going to open March 23rd from 5 to 8 p.m., and it'll run through Art Expo April 14th. So be sure to come check it out, and of course, you can make a appointments to see the show if you happen to be here during Art Expo in Chicago. I'd also note that we currently have a bunch of work available by Jeff Stevenson on the gallery page. Lots of affordable work as part of the Artist Support Pledge. So if you see any of the paintings or drawings or anything, please feel free to send a DM, but please check those out as they are available. As always, find us on Facebook, like our page there. You can find us on Twitter X at Studio Break and, of course, on Instagram at Studio underscore Break. Let's dive right into this interview with Bill Conger. Stay tuned. Welcome, Bill Conger, to episode 300 of Studio Break. How are you doing tonight? 
I am great, Dave. Great to be here uh, again. Uh, this is my, remind me, how many? I Gosh, I'd have to look it up. I think it's like six. Six appearances. But I am, episode 300, which is kind of crazy. Um, and I guess because I did just pull it up, you can go way back into the archive. You were episode six back in... 2011 or something I, I, like that which i is was uh, 13 years old <laughs> so again uh you can find all of these conveniently linked so if uh, somebody wants to they can go back and check out what interview 55 was about or that's 100 cool. so we kind of dive into a lot of different work and it's all archived on studio break so again super fun uh really so again thank you for having me uh, it's exciting to talk to you, too, with this uh, impending snowstorm that I might not be able to make it out alive uh, from. I feel it uh, enhances the, the drama of our particular uh, moment <laughs> here together. So uh, let's let it happen. Absolutely. So, you know, again, it's always fun visiting and, and, you know, especially this podcast has been about kind of continuing these relationships and you know, visiting, dropping in with people's studio practice. So again, it's exciting to uh, to see your setup has changed quite a bit. You've got all sorts of this, I guess it's called paint. It's paint around, I guess. Apparently, this is something <laughs> that people have done for a long time, this painting. No. Uh, yes, I, I have uh, re-embraced painting, I guess. I uh, started off as a painter, Dave, out of uh, college and, and was a painter for a long time. Uh, it has been probably 15 years since I all but stopped uh, making uh, what we would refer to as paintings <laughs> and moved into found object work. There have been some, uh, I guess, moments in recent my own recent history that have uh, impacted me in such a way that I believe it has also impacted the way I make work. Mm -hmm. um, and we can get into those things later. But uh, painting is... Um, uh, again, in a way, new to me. Yeah, well, it's interesting because, again, your last appearance, obviously, you were the second uh, exhibition at Studio Break Gallery for the show Gold. So as you were just kind of describing, lots of works based off of found objects, if I'm not mistaken, from eBay and yep. uh, places where you're kind of curating from that. So, again, different kind of approach, but as we've been kind of talking about, there's definitely things that I think about or relate to other bodies of work, especially, you know, we were talking about these really tight, meticulous collage pieces you were making. I don't know. Who mm -hmm. knows? This all blends together when you've been mm -hmm. doing it for uh, so many, <laughs> so many years, I A guess. But, um, but again, it's very interesting to kind of see that. I think that's one of the things that I kind of pointed out to you. There's still this kind of meticulous nature to it, but maybe talk a little bit about, I guess, what maybe the First thing to hit is the the sea change. So, autumn of 2020 during the pandemic, I think we discussed this on our gold uh, mm -hmm. broadcast. But I think it's important to talk about just to set the tone. I suffered a nearly fatal, basically was fatal for a few minutes, uh, heart attack, uh, very unexpectedly, uh, visiting my son on his birthday out of the town that I live, out of state. And uh, to be very succinct about it, I got extremely lucky and came out of it nearly perfectly, which just doesn't really happen. Mm -hmm. That, of course, shakes your foundation a little bit. It changes the way you see yourself. It changes the way you uh, move within the world. 
and uh, it took about two and a half years for it to uh, impact my studio work in a way that pushed me into uh, this place that I'm so familiar with and was missing in, in some ways. The interesting similarities to the way this work operates and the way that my old work or the work of, say, the past 15 or 20 years uh, was assimilating itself is that there's still an idea of um, controlled uncontrollability, uh, controlled chaos or chaotic control, one or the other, that there is a, a kind of need in my, I guess, my artistic impulse to control the outcome, but there is also the magic in terms of making things comes to me from not being controlled. So that was happening in the found objects as well. That's why eBay, when I would go to eBay, I could, I really was, I was choosing these things, but there was a certain amount of um, release of control that I was letting happen. I would just, if these items were loved in a certain way or lived in the world a certain way and, and got bumped, scratched, bent, those things became very attractive to me because I didn't make those decisions. And then flash forward to today where uh, I'm re-engaging with the painterly surface, I think finding strategies that are allowing that very same thing to happen. And I guess maybe to throw just a random curveball or dumb question, I'll say it like that. What's the, I guess, oddest thing about coming back to it? Are there mm. like challenges in terms of, and I think we've talked about this a little bit because like most artists, you know, you go through a traumatic event, you kind of let that soak in, you sort of see how that fills in and filters into your work. And I don't yeah. know, it could be kind of like scary to kind of start something that feels really fresh or yeah. you're not quite sure about it. So were there any particular challenges or like, what am I doing? <laughs> yeah. All of that, you know, the, the fear in, in going into an area that you, uh, that is maybe new, whether it's, a, a familiar new or a brand new, new is what really was fueling me. I, I really, get excited by that fear, by the, um, the open territory of it. Painting is just such an amazing form that it allows for that fear to happen on a constant basis. There is no, uh, at least in the way I work, there's really no way of preconceiving the moment and the material and the everything around, you know, the temperature and, and the energy comes together or it doesn't. And uh, ultimately that is the most satisfying endeavor when it works and the most crushing when it doesn't work. And that's why for me painting is, I mean, it's deep sea fishing. It's the real thing. I was able to, for a long time, uh, flirt with painting through my sculptural works. I've always had a dialogue with painting. I think I moved away from it uh, for one reason, because I did not satisfy my own urgency to make my own mark. I really felt that my language, the voice that I had on canvas was uh, too derivative of other voices. And that pushed me away for a while. And so that makes this challenge even more terrifying. <laughs> Perfect word for that. <laughs> 
and I guess maybe this is also another silly question. I mean, was there some like particular moment that kind of gets you into that space where you're like, you know what, I'm going to fashion this circular canvas mm. to try to work on? Or I say it because like, you know, I don't get the impression that you, you know, snapped out of uh, consciousness or no. back into consciousness no. and immediately were like, you know, doing this is a long process. So, I mean, were there... Uh, instances, experiences that you had where you started kind of getting an idea of like wanting to get back to that. And I know, again, you know, if people check out your website, which is billconger.com. Yeah, go there. Uh, of course, we'll have it linked up uh, yeah. on this interview, but you can kind of read some of the words and some of the thoughts behind the work. And I guess that's the, the angle that I'm thinking of specifically. Was sure. there a moment of kind of experiencing something or seeing something that kind of visually kind of helped you figure out how you're going to start yeah. working through this chaos? Sure, many things. I think originally, uh, after essentially being suspended in amber for a while, mm -hmm. kind of moving around, I remember walking around my space a lot and not really knowing what to do with this energy, this kind of, and, and fear, quite frankly. Because, not to get too into this, but once you die once, you're, you're thinking about when you're going to die again. I, you know, it's to be completely uh, upfront about that. So there were a series of works based on language, reformulating language for me, which was symbolic of reformulating. How am I going to move and be effective in the world again? Uh, and that's another way of saying, how am I going to make work? How am I going to come back into the studio and make things that, um, that satiate, this new way of seeing the world because it had all changed. A few years ago, uh, when in uh, Italy, uh, I remember being completely um, taken and entranced and totally fell in love with um, a number of the uh, Byzantine crucifixes by Giotto and some of the, some of the other masters. And these you would go into the naves of the cathedral and they would be 12 and 14 feet tall and wide and suspend. And um, I did not connect with those images for the figurative nature of them. I've connected in the monumentality, the pure, I don't mean to say spiritual, what I mean is soulful reach of the construct. It was just so architecturally artistically perfect uh, in terms of how it related to the body that it floated in my brain for a while and then I just decided there could be something that happened sculpturally to my paintings that might inform them in a, in a new way and for me that was releasing them in a sense from the wall from the the uh, binding of that white surface behind them so I literally just pushed the, the paintings off of the wall two and three and four and six inches, experimenting with, with that effect. And the result was that not only could I make a painting and deal with spatial and, and, and all these different, you know, kind of modes of uh, dealing with surface and, and space, but I could also make a sculpture that dealt with the body, uh, an object that connected psychologically and physiologically with with the actual flesh with the body so those are a number of things that were happening i'm sure there are more 
Um, but those are the biggies. And about a year ago, I made that first painting that kind of um, divorced itself from its uh, from its earthly bounds of, <laughs> of the uh, gallery wall. And uh, so it's been, a near, we're coming up on a year of, of this direction. They're definitely fun to walk up on. You know, there's that idea of kind of having a more physical relationship to it, the mm-hmm. way that you might a sculpture, yeah. you know, certainly just because they're not like an inch off the wall, two inches off the wall, they really pop off the wall. So it's interesting, obviously, to to shift around them. You know, even just the, the nature, just kind of seeing them at first, you know, as you were kind of describing, you know, earlier in our visit, you know, people might assume that these are all just very quick, just an expressive painting that just mm-hmm. happens. Right. Um, but that's one of the things that, actually not unlike your other work, (laughs) you come upon it and you kind of need a little bit of time with it. But, you know, the thing that I think is really beautiful too, is that you kind of start kind of getting enveloped in these, these almost like suggestions of space Mm -hmm. through all of the, the layering that's kind of going on. Um, and, and maybe, I don't know if this will be interesting, but maybe talk a little bit about exactly how these are made. So somebody can formulaically copy it. I'm actually going to scratch that. That's a joke. But um, but maybe maybe talk a little about that because like I think yeah. somebody would assume that these are like again these very expressive things that just kind of spurt out as opposed to something that's you know you've got an elaborate masking system and sure, sure. all of that stuff. So I, I will describe how they're made, um, but a, a little on the obtuse side because not because I'm worried about anybody copying them, <laughs> but I don't want the paintings to be about the technique. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll kind of be a little bit brief about that. But I should say first that since, uh, you know, my probably mid-years of college, as a lot of us did in the 1990s and 1980s, completely entranced with the um, methodology of the abstract expressionist. And for me, that mode of uh, communicating uh, those parts of the psyche that you cannot illustrate those parts of the world that you cannot um, replicate is nearly a perfect form for me. And so one of the reasons I didn't paint was because I felt like I would just retrace some footprints that have already been made. So that sets the tone of what these paintings are. They, they, they're smallish in scale, maybe a little larger than your own head, anywhere from 36 inches to 16 inches. I have found the uh, form of the circle or the kind of Tondo-esque stretcher uh, being the most favored for the delivery of this information right now. Uh, The rectangle for me is a little problematic because it, it as well has a lot of history to it. And those four little corners have a lot of tension and there are a lot of uh, delivery of very specific pieces of painterly information that I am trying to not deal with at this, at this time. So for me, this Tondo, the circular form is, uh, is pretty perfect at the moment. The technique is extremely quick in terms of the production of, of the, the marks, the, uh, movements. When you look at these, they look very quick. There's a lot of gesture. There's a lot of energy. There seems to be a lot of um, 
just kind of referring to my own work as I'm looking around, but I think there is a little bit of a, an abandoned, abandoned quality, not abandoned, but abandoned, um, that there is a kind of release from the premeditated idea of what this mark is going to be. And when I make the marks, I really do kind of release from a lot of decision making. There's, it's very performative, like a lot of gestural abstract painting is uh it's made with the body and so that happens and and there's uh, a myriad of materials i use from plastic to uh, mops to uh form kind of created brushes out of rubber and all sorts of different things so i can create a, a, a mark that does not mimic a brush to me these marks need to escape the brush or at least attempt to and become something that I can't really understand in terms of how they were made. So there is a lot of accidental magic that happens. And then there is a long process that this, this technique allows me to take all these marks and kind of layer them up. I can kind of arrange these marks and determine what is going to happen so I can create a type of unpredictability through something that has already been made. So not unlike found object, a sculpture in some ways. So the way this new kind of new for me, language is not different than the, than the work that I was doing before. And we haven't even gotten into really the, um, the content that's really in the work. Just taking a quick coffee break to remind you to head on over to Studio Break to check out some of the archived episodes that we've got there. You can subscribe to our newsletter to find out about exhibitions like the two-person Bill Conger, Ron Jackson show, March 23rd, or other opportunities to show or participate with the podcast. We've also got a bunch of work available by Jeff Stevenson right now, so check those out. All super affordable as part of the Artist Support Pledge, work starting as low as 50 bucks, so please check it out. DM if you're interested in anything. And a reminder, once again, you can find us in social media, like our Facebook page. You can find us on Twitter, X, at Studio Break, and of course on Instagram at Studio underscore Break. And let's dive right back into this interview. Well, you just opened that up, I mean, well, for that for that question. Because um, I think that could be something interesting, too. You could imagine somebody coming upon these and just thinking of them as their you know, just these abstracted paintings that don't sure. have any reference to something. Obviously, some of the things we've been already talking about, life events, yeah, yeah. certainly kind of shed context on that. Or again, a little bit of literature, mm -hmm. you know, in your statement, kind of describing, you know, people kind of uh, gathering these painted fragments of uh, a crucifix, essentially depiction mm. of Christ, where it all been kind of like, split apart kind of right. being pieced back together, pieced back together. Um, it's kind of I don't know again I'm I don't know that these are necessarily uh, uh, religious paintings uh, per se but they definitely when you start kind of thinking about those ideas they definitely kind of hit a different way than yeah. that just flat take of this is just an abstract painting well the, this suspension of the of the physical the body of the painting I'll just call it a I mean they are kind of a corpus really each one is unique. Each one does its, uh, makes its own statement. Each moves within the world in its own way. But they're all tethered, of course, to the physicality of the wall, even though they're 
in some ways released from it um, to some degree. I think the overarching thematic threat to the paintings and to looking at the paintings is gravity. They're just there. And the paint also reacts to gravity. And, and if it doesn't, I even uh, I tend to like to uh, accentuate that quality, uh, mimicking, I think, a lot of different work, like the drips from anything from uh, Jackson Pollock to Hermann Nietzsche, you know, performative paintings, the blood from the body um, raining down the front of the canvas. I think there there's some commonalities. There are some discussions between the work of those artists and this and this work. I don't tend to say that these are one thing or another, really. I, I would say that they have something to do with compression, some kind of physiological, psychological compression and explosive kind of connection to the world or exit from the world or entrance into the world or you know all these things we can talk about are are connected to life in in so many ways and and revelation and uh, despair and destruction I think all of that is happening in these um, and that's not everything that's happening in them either it's uh, I, I really want them open-ended I really want them to be interpreted and not understood when i think one of the things that as a viewer right uh, looking at them you kind of start seeing all of this layering all of this the ways that these different layers interact or kind of almost create these pockets of space or you know areas want to kind of come forward and again it's kind of interesting too because i think it was you know, just assuming that these would be something where it's just like layer after layer after layer or like sanding to kind of get these marks, but it's essentially just layers of, of paint as opposed to something that's like applied, sanded to kind of get that, that yeah. texture. Uh, generally, that's true. There, I tend to um, be additive and uh, with these paintings, almost maximal, I would say, as opposed to um, working in a minimal way, which I, I would say... I had a pretty good piece of property with in the past. I have a, a long connection to the uh, impact of minimalism, and I and there are essences of minimalism in these paintings as well. But the production of them really is about pushing them to their complete limit visually, letting them fall apart, and then trying to get them back. So there's certainly imperfection in them. But I, I want that imperfection as a, a tussle, a little bit of a wrestling match, so I can find my way back. You know, there are times when the painting is easy, and I like that. But that's not what painting is about. And uh, I would say that over the past 12 months, I've learned a lot about myself and painting and the world again things I didn't know before. I mean, that's why this, this way of working is, is magical. You know, it, it allows for an infinitesimal amount of discovery, both self-discovery and outward discovery and self-location. This seems like, a, again, a very silly question, but how, how do you decide that you are done with one of these? Because some of them yeah. look very spare. Some of them, you know, you start kind of compiling how many layers of colors or the way that maybe different layers um, affect other layers and kind of create this really 
you know, thick in spots, some areas of paint. And then some of them, again, just seem like they're, like, as you said, maybe something that, that kind of came very quickly, but without that kind of having to be tethered to something, how do you then decide to, to walk away from it? I know obviously too, you had a bunch of these, uh, somewhere else. So maybe you don't want to kind of, um, have those influence it. They have to be like this singular kind of thing, but mm-hmm. maybe talk a little about that because evaluation is huge. So I've heard so many answers to this question over, you know, a, a career of making art, curating, dealing with artists, working with artists. And maybe my answer will be nothing special, but I I haven't quite heard this one before. And this is the truth for me. They're finished for me when they stop bugging me, Mm. when they stop annoying me, when they settle down, there's a kind of taming that I kind of see this as a kind of um, a relegation between the two, the two of us the painting and myself, when we both kind of say, okay, and it's just kind of there. I mean, it's very easy for me to do this and not very easy to, to say. It's the hardest thing to for an artist to talk about when is a painting done. I can tell you when I look at one of my paintings and it's not done because I see five, six, a dozen different things that just scream to be tamed. To, to be negotiated in some way. So uh, whether that is a, a bit of white space, whether that is uh, some of the hues that I use are, are pretty muddy. I mean, they're pretty tough. They're um, bodily, you know, in, in some ways. And uh, sometimes the color looks too bright, quite frankly, looks too optimistic, looks too this, looks too that. And uh, those are things that, that will kind of trigger me as well. But there really isn't one thing. It, it, I can just say that when they, when they get there, they leave me alone. And then we, we can coexist. And I don't think I've ever asked you this because I don't think since I've, you know, doing this and, and talking to you about art, like color mixing, is that even a thing? Because, I mean, again, somebody might kind of come across these and think like, you know, the classic, like, go to Home Depot, these are the discarded paints. Mm-hmm. I have a feeling that, you know, maybe maybe some of them are important in terms of mixing, but I, I don't know why. I almost want to get a shot of that, yeah. um, <laughs> you know. Sure. So there's a, a lot of color mixing that goes on, and there is a lot of that silly Home Depot. I work with the cheapest, dumbest paints that you can imagine. I don't want the paint to be better or smarter than I am, which mm-hmm. um, I want the paint to be on my level. And that's why I get these. Mm-hmm. I want them to um, have a quality that's a surprise. I don't want to know what the paint is going to do. So I'll let the paint gum up. I'll even use it. You know, if you pull up, if you pull the lid off of a can, you haven't shaken that weird murky emulsive goop that's at the, I like that too. I like all the parts about paint that, um, that escape itself, that become more like me, more human, more imperfect and more accidental. And, and, and then we have a, we have a row. We just go to town and see what kind of things that this imperfection is going to yield. And it can often be terribly surprising. Well, and imagine too, like when you have, something that isn't working or something that 
isn't tamed, mm-hmm. then it becomes like a, I guess a little bit of a, a dice roll to just go like, you know what, I'm going to grab whatever this random tool is to try to find a new way of making a mark or, or something that's going to kind of push it towards that. Right. But then I would imagine, again, it's a lot of that back and forth where you might have gone too far in one direction or... Well, just bringing these paintings out for you, I'm seeing a couple right now that are bugging me, right? <laughs> I mean, there, there are some things that... Uh, you know, absence sometimes makes the heart grow fonder, but some of these I haven't seen in a few months. I pulled them back out and I feel like we may still have an argument or two. <laughs> well, it's interesting too, because, you know, I've you know talked to plenty of artists that'll be like, I turn everything around, face the wall. Yeah. You're like, get it out of here. Um, I think when I came in, there were, th- you know, three of these pieces on the wall. So, you know, it's also interesting to me because, you know, you think about like the meticulous nature of how you're working through them and, masking things off and elaborate ways. And, you know, one would think that you would just have, you know, 40 of these on the wall and you're just kind of like layering and kind of regurgitating that process or mixing up some other colors or trying to get away from them or something. And so it's interesting that there, there's probably a lot of them that you're kind of then solely focused on. This is my, my torment for a week, two weeks, three weeks. Yeah. Well, you know, your, your comment makes me realize something that the repetition and that that kind of rote, this is what I did last time, I'm going to do it. It is not my nature to do the same thing that I did. It's just not in my nature. I, you can look through my career and you can watch me vacillate and bounce and try different, all sorts of different, as you've brought up, I've collage and found an object, painting, you know, large scale found things. It is not in my nature to just stop and, and do it. So, to push this idea where I am actually, in a sense, engaging my rote memory and starting again, get the canvas, stretch it here, we're going to do this again, provides a little bit of a rhythm and it allows me to dig down a little deeper into the, I guess, facility of, of um, what I am able to produce in painting. It So it's not a kind of one-off. Uh, it allows me to produce a bunch of them and uh, most of them aren't good. So a lot of them just go away. But the ones that I, that I extract, they somehow pull out of the birth canal. I'm sorry to be so blunt, but I mean, the ones that really yield some great things happened as a result of that rote activity combined with something in me that dislikes it, that dislikes that rote activity. If it sounds a little painful, it is. It's kind of grueling to, to work that way, but produces some really interesting results. Yeah, when I think back on the work that you've been making for however many years, you know, there's always that sense of, yeah, looking for something that's new, something that's uh, not repeated, not, not the same ground. So, again, I, I have no idea if we'll be talking about AI-generated <laughs> right. you know, collages in, going, in two right. years. or right. And it's also interesting to me, again, I don't, I don't know, you know, relative to your process, but it sounds like, again, still a lot of it is just from, from doing, although I do know that you have a wonderful chair, so there might be a lot of looking involved, too. But I don't get the impression necessarily that you're, you know— staying up at all hours of the night, you know, writing, for example. But I would imagine maybe there's a lot of time in, in deep thought. 
Sure, sure. And, and uh, appreciate your, your statement and question and can respond in, in a way that, well, it's something I've been thinking about. A lot of my work has been inspired by other things, by other art, by other literature, by poetry. We've talked about also, we've talked about film together, which is kind of inspired piece. I can tell you that these works are completely inspired by, um, by the moment. It's, these are more uh, about kind of revealing something and searching for something than trying to illustrate something through the uh, impulse of something else. So the great poet that I probably have referenced here a number of times, Philip Larkin, was a notable conservative artist, meaning he was not interested in producing something modern. What he was interested in is working within the form of the chosen in his case was poetry and or novels. He wrote no, a few a few novels, none of which uh, took took root very much. But his poetry, of course, transformed modern writing. So his thoughts and the way he was thinking about his own poetry, not reading his poetry, but but his mindset really inspired me and challenged me to find painting again. I I found something important in the idea that this is a very long tradition of dealing with a surface and material and the imagination and those things compiling and, and becoming destined to do what? To do something. So very important to me, that way of thinking, but not necessarily about reading so-and-so. And no, I'm, I'm kind of, uh, I read only for myself now, not for my art. I am uh, actually don't need it. There's plenty in here <laughs> that, has, that has to be found. Well, in a weird way, I feel like you always have a way of telling me when an interview's done, and I think that was it. You know, in in the same way that you might edit or battle a painting, uh, currently, like I said, we'll see where I this stopped is at. annoying you. Is what you're saying? <laughs> well, there's just a way of kind of putting something where you're like, that's that's where it's at. You know, you kind of open that that doorway, if you will, into yeah. into that world. Um, and that's something that I think again is always fun to come and visit that because these act as portals, they act as gateways, or right. you know, and again, to kind of think about all the layering in terms of the actual painting, but then also all the ideas, you know, certainly gives you a lot to, to think about. And it's been fun to, to be able to, to check them out and, and walk from here to there to, to see them. So yeah, again, thank you so much for, for doing this uh, episode 300. I am privileged to be able to discuss these with you. And uh, the idea that I'm number 300 is just astounding. I'm very proud. So thank you so much for, for coming to my studio and uh, taking a peek and, and uh, giving me your interest. Thanks once again to Bill for joining me for episode 300. I would encourage you to check out his work at billconger.com. And of course, be sure to follow him on Instagram. Lots of great stuff to see there at Bill Conger. As I noted earlier, we're really excited to announce an upcoming two-person exhibition this March with Bill Conger and Ron Jackson at Studio Break Gallery here in West Chicago that opens March 23rd 
from 5 to 8 p.m. So please come out for the exhibition. It's going to be fantastic. And that show does run through April 14th. If you happen to be in town for a Chicago Art Expo around that weekend, um, please, again, send a message. You can come out and see the show through the 14th for appointment hours. If you enjoyed today's episode, please head on over to superbreak.com and check out the big archive of episodes we have there. Lots of different artists talking about their practice and how the work has evolved. You can listen right there on studiobreak.com or just subscribe in Spotify or Apple, wherever you get your podcasts. It's great listening for studio work. Music for today's episode is by Golden Shadow, which is myself, Ben Cohan, and Brett Beery. You can check out some of Ben's paintings at Studio on Instagram. You can listen to some of Brett's albums from Typical Stereo Records at Brett Beery on Instagram. You can follow us at Golden Shadow Band on Instagram. We've got a link there for our EP that came out a while back, Lawn Dreams. And there's a wide variety of other albums available at Typical Stereo Records. It's also exciting. We're going to be offering some limited edition cassettes through Studio Break Gallery. If you'd like to see any of my work, you can check it out right there on the same website. DaveLinway.com is StudioBreak.com. And there will be an upcoming sale there. But for the meantime, you can also check out what's on sale with Jeff Stevenson as he has a number of works available on the gallery page. So if you see anything that jumps out at you, we're doing this as part of the artist support pledge. All the works are super affordable. So if anything catches your eye, send a DM, get in touch. And of course, you can find us once again in social media. Be sure to like our Facebook page. You can find us on Twitter X at Studio Break. And of course, be sure to say hello on Instagram at Studio underscore Break. All right. Thanks for your patience as we return back from hiatus. Super excited to get back to podcasting. Really hope that you enjoyed today's 300th episode. Hope your studio is mighty. We'll talk to you real soon.